do want to welcome all those joining us online. I'm Pastor Zach. Shelly and I serve as lead pastors here at Connection Point Church. And it's a privilege. Thanks, Shell. And we are three weeks away from two services. Three weeks. At 9 and 1045. So what time? 9 and 1045. So what we'll have on December 3rd is we have our Connection Point family Christmas. And so we have two services for that because, of course, we have a number of people that come and join us for that. And we realize we're at a place, because this place is filling up very quickly, that we need to have two services so we can continue to serve more people in our community. What a joy. Uh, those aren't problems. I would never label it as such. But if there's issues to resolve, those are the kind of issues to resolve in a church, right? Amen. Um, I do want to encourage you, too. We've talked about the idea of attend one and serve one. And what we mean by that is you have an invitation to participate in the ministry of the church. That you could come to first service and just say, you know what, I, for the next year, I'm going to just serve as the third grade teacher. And I just want to make disciples of third graders during second service for the next year. Or you'd say, you know what, I really love serving and greeting people at the D door, so I'm going to serve people and, and greet people first service, and then I'm just going to come and be a part of second service. So if you're interested in serving the Sunday morning in that way that you would commitment to a, your own spiritual growth, but also to serving the local community. You can find myself or somebody in a welcome shirt, and they can give you direction on, on where you go to be a part of Sunday mornings in that way at Connection Point. So first Sunday in January, I opened with a message on live dead. Live dead, 21 days of prayer and fasting was really kind of what we were looking at. And if you're new to the church, that might be new, a phrase for you to consider, what, what does he mean by live dead? Uh, some of you are walking through a devotional, a 365-day devotional, Live Dead Joy. How many have been walking through that devotional? I know a lot of you in the church, I've seen posts. Uh, man, it's a challenging day-to-day -day read as you reflect on basically what we talk about in Live Dead is the crucified life. So we're walking through the New Testament book of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 7 right now. By next April, we'll get to Luke chapter 9. And in Luke chapter 9, we're going to see Jesus says, for anyone to follow after me, you must lay down your life. You must deny yourself, take up your cross to follow me. So that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the crucified life. So it's really not a new thing. Live dead is not a new concept. Christians have been doing it for 2,000 years. And it's basically saying, God, I know that my life is meant for you. So how can I give you glory in the life that I lead? That's really what live dead is. But at the same time, there is an initiative called live dead and it's all about planting the church amongst unreached peoples in teams. So Shelly and I, uh, we had served overseas. We were Live Dead team leaders for East Jerusalem and the West Bank. So that's what we were doing. We were working with the church planting team. Had a desire to see the church planted in places and parts of the world, specifically in the West Bank, to where the gospel had not really yet touched or reached. And so that's also what Live Dead is. But as we talk about Live Dead today, so I'm going to piggyback on that message from January. I want to come back around to that concept, that topic. Because if you've been walking through the Live Dead joy, or maybe you're even asking yourself this morning, well, why, why would Jesus ask us to live a crucified life? Why must we live dead? Maybe you're asking yourself that question. And there's reasons for why Jesus asks that. And specifically stated what I want to address today is why, for the sake of the nations, must we live dead? So if you have your Bibles, I hope you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you, and you can pick up a Bible um, and follow along with us this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 67, Psalm 67. And so I'm going to also invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. 
simply as a, a way to honor the fact that God gave us his word. We're thankful that God gave his word to us. And so we're going to be reading Psalm 67. We'll just read the psalm in its entirety today. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and may his face to shine upon us. They that was way to know on earth, you save in power among all nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the people with equity and guide, and guide the nations of an earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The air has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the air fear him. I'm not finished. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Spanish now. Dios nos tenga compasión y nos bendiga. Dios nos haga resplandecer su rostro sobre nosotros para que nos conozcan en la tierra sus caminos y entre todas las naciones su salvación. Que te alaben, oh Dios, los pueblos, que todos los pueblos te alaben. Alégrense y canten con júbilo las naciones porque tú las gobiernas con rectitud. Tú guías a las naciones de la tierra. Que te alaben, oh Dios, los pueblos, que todos los pueblos te alaben. La tierra dará entonces su fruto y Dios, nuestro Dios, nos bendecirá. Dios nos bendecirá y le mantendrá, to, le temerán todos los confines de la tierra. Amén. Amén. These are very words of God. You may be seated this morning. What a joy that we have an international church. Amen. If you were here for Eurasia experience last night, you got to see some of that. It's so cool to do a Eurasia experience when you actually have people of other nations in town. It really makes it much more authentic. I'll come back around to Eurasia experience in a minute. But what I want to first pull out this morning, first, first thing we find in the scripture this morning is that we must live dead so that the persecuted church is strengthened. We must live dead so that the persecuted church is strengthened. So November 12th today has been recognized uh, through organizations around the world as an international day of prayer for the persecuted church. There are over 200 million Christians who live in parts and places of the world where they cannot be open with their faith. In fact, they're persecuted for their faith. 200 million. And so today is a day that we can pray alongside them to say, God, give them strength where they're at. Uh, so uh, unbeknownst to me, uh, I was mentioning this to our volunteer breakfast. So though I'm a planner. Uh, that might surprise you. And so I plan things. So I had, I lay out a, a, a preaching calendar a year in advance. So last year, maybe around this time, I knew what we were going to be doing this year, like today. And so unbeknownst to me, though, the Assemblies of God had partnered with uh, Roma Downey, who was making a movie called Faith Keepers, highlighting the persecuted church in Iraq. So now I want to kind of take you to fast forward to uh, Kingdom Builder. So if you looked at your Kingdom Builder's commitment card, one of the things on there is the opportunity we have to participate or partner with a church plant in Iraq. So I'll tell you, in following Jesus, I've come to a place where I'm constantly amazed, but never surprised. 
don't know if you've arrived at that place yet. Constantly amazed, but never surprised. So on the day a year ago, I said, you know, we're going to have Omar Byler the week before. We're going to talk a bit about the persecuted church today. Then Assemblies of God, I get an email two months ago that says, hey, just so you know, we want to link arms with other Christians and make November 12th the day where you pray with other churches about the persecuted church. And we'd love for you to show a movie called Faith Keepers, which highlights Iraqi persecuted Christians in Iraq. So I just, I love that. I'm looking at the email and honestly, I just started chuckling. I thought, you know, God, you really are so funny. You know, even for me as a planner, but I pray about that. I pray, God, what do you want us to do on this day? And so God then aligns things and says, well, the Assemblies of God is going to get behind the movie. So it's going to help promote what you're doing to see the church planted in Iraq. Isn't that awesome? So God puts those things together. And so today, we just want to take a look at that and the fact that there are persecuted uh, believers all around the, uh, the, the globe, and in particular in Iraq. That's where uh, ISIS, it was a foothold for ISIS. Um, they're starting to do some more groundwork there to kind of help with that. Um, but we want to take a look at that today. But I, I do want to pause here to say, as we look at this day, this International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and as we look at a couple of video clips, I'm not going to show the whole movie today. To be honest, I wouldn't be able to uh, in the crowd that we've got because there's kids in here. It really is an intense movie because when we go outside of these walls, we really live in, in a world that is growing increasingly evil. There's some really, really challenging things happening in the world today. How many know that? Yeah. If you watch the news, I mean, you're seeing some of those things. Even that, you're only seeing kind of surface level. And, and so I mentioned that today because, you know, we've been walking through the series on Luke and talking about things, very scriptural, incredible things, that you can be mighty with Jesus. You know, we talked about how you can have an unshakable life with Jesus, that you can be a blessed citizen of heaven. And those are all truths and incredible truths. But what I would like to do today is I'd like to take a look at some of the nature of, of where the world is today and maybe part of our responsibility to make a difference in those parts and places. Can we do that this morning? So I'm going to tell you that in advance to say we're going to vacillate between kind of some more serious things and we'll kind of come back to some lighter things as well. But just know that today, and I know we've got guests today, you know, baby dedication day, families come in. Um, basically what I'm telling you is I'm throwing you in the deep end of the pool today. Um, no apologies, to be honest. I think Christians should go to the deep end of the pool. How many think we should go to the deep end of the pool? That's where the real fun begins. That's where you get to do cannonballs and stuff, right? I don't know. I'm just going to run with that analogy. So I just, I want to challenge you this morning as we look at some of these serious things in scripture and the mandate that we have to make a difference in the world, maybe as we even watch this video clip, just begin to whisper a prayer in your heart. God, help me to have your ears today. Help me to have your heart today. Help me to understand your heart for the world in the greater Lafayette area and all around this globe. How many know God has a heart for the world? Absolutely. And so we want to have that heart as well. Um, so if we could go ahead and share that video clip from the Faith Keepers movie. <laughs> ودري وراقه قاع واحد فيه ولا قالي ما تخلي ليش ديالو This new wave of ISIS is not something new. It's something that we've dealt with for a very long time. This is how 
The Middle East went from being really Christian majority, which most people don't even know at this point, to being almost entirely Muslim in certain areas. And so there, in fact, there's regions right now that have no Christians at all, but a century ago they did. It is pretty much, unless something fairly dramatic is done, we will see the extinction of Christianity in that region. We're watching a real genocide unfold in real time. And when something happens on the other side of the world, we know it immediately here. And that knowledge bears with it responsibility. All that is needed for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. There are some things in life that are worth fighting for. Uh, freedom is worth fighting for, okay? Protection of your family is worth fighting for. Stopping genocide is something worth fighting for. We need your help as we come alongside our ongoing works throughout the world. In addition, let's pray for miracles throughout the Middle East and other hotspots of persecution. Pray that there may be such a move of God that millions will come to Christ and churches established in every town and city. The only hope to end such atrocities that we have seen is a changed heart, a heart that only Jesus can change. Pray for those that have suffered so deeply. Pray their hearts may find healing and that they may be encouraged by each of us as we stand with them in intercessory prayer through these trying times. And last of all, pray that God would continue to send workers so all can hear. Of, of some of what they're talking about as it relates to the persecuted church, specifically in Iraq. But could we just pause and pray for the persecuted church right now? God, we just ask that you would be with our brothers and sisters around the world. Lord, the statistic there on the video is 100 million. 100 million people who live in parts and places of this world where they are challenged for their faith. Daily, weekly, monthly, Lord, challenged by family, challenged by coworkers. And so, God, we just pray that you'd give them strength. God, we pray that you'd give them staying power in Jesus' name. God, we know that your church grows in persecution, so we just pray, Lord, that your church may advance, even amidst persecution. I just pray that it would defy what this world would think in terms of your global expansion. So God, we just pray right now for the, the believers in Iraq. We just wanna come alongside them. May we stand with them in Jesus' name to know that you are with them. May they feel your presence on a daily basis to know that you are there. And God, I pray that you'd help them to be bold in witness. Lord, help them to continue to turn the other cheek when, when their cheek is slapped and continue to speak your name. And we just pray these things, God, asking that your kingdom come. Lord, that your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. I do encourage you, be praying for the persecuted church. Uh, and I'll mention, you know, the reason we pray for them is, is because 
there's not the persecuted church in, in the American church or the persecuted church in any other church. There's just one church. They are our brothers and sisters in the faith, and we want to stand with them. Greg Mundus, the executive director for Assemblies of God World Missions, he's the one that shared at the very end of that video. He said, what is the solution? A changed heart. Absolutely true. What's the solution in the places of the world where persecution happens? A changed heart. And who changes hearts? Jesus does. And how do we bring Jesus to those places so they can have a changed heart? Pray for them, absolutely. And we send laborers. The reason we get behind people like Austin and Katie and send them to a place like Iraq is because we know they won't have a changed heart unless somebody goes and helps them experience Jesus. That's the opportunity we have before us. The best thing we can do for the persecuted church is to say, we're coming alongside you. We're going to be here with you. We're going to help you advance the kingdom of God here. Is there any better way for us to make a difference in those places? No, that's the opportunity we have. So it doesn't surprise me that on this day that I planned a year ago, Assemblies of God says, hey, here's a movie on Iraq, but we speak this summer and know that God wants us to be a part of a church planning endeavor. God says, here's what I want you to do. How many think God wants us to help with the church in Iraq? Absolutely. And so we want to do that. Austin and Katie, the, the team, they're the church, they're the Live Dead team leaders. They're going to go and plant the church. They're going to be here in May. And so I want to encourage you, be here for that. We're going to pray for them and help send them because we want to stand with these persecuted believers in Iraq. As you're a part of Kingdom Builders, because that's on the Kingdom Builders card, you are making a difference with persecuted believers. We must live dead so that the persecuted church is strengthened. And we must live dead so that the nations praise God. We must live dead so that the nations praise God. Uh, how many of this last week had a chance to listen to Dan Betzer's message, Why Some Churches Are Blessed? Anybody get a chance to listen to that? It was online. It was on our podcast. It really is a great message. If I could encourage you, the, the link to it's in your program this morning as well. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, listen to it this week. It really will challenge you. And what is the church for? Dan Betzer, over and over in that, in that message, he says, we're not in the music business. We're not in the building business. We're in the redemption business. He's got this nice, deep voice. I can't really replicate it. He says, we're in the redemption business. And it's true. That's what the church is here for. You know, so he, he addresses the fact that although 80% of churches are in decline, there are churches that are growing, churches like ours. Why? It's those churches that understand we were made for mission. We were made to see God, his kingdom advance in the world. And so one of the things he mentions there, and this is what I want to pull into this morning's message, is he talks about the difference between a pledge and a faith promise. If you were here last year for our missions conference, we talked about faith promise. And that really is what kingdom builders are. So a kingdom builder commitment card, when you fill that out, because we're going to collect those at the end of the service today. I mentioned that last week. So I want to plant that seed right now in the midst of this service. That when you fill out that card, which a lot of you have, you need to fill it out with the mindset of, what does God want to do through me this year for the sake of his kingdom advancement? And that's what you fill out. In other words, if you fill out that card and you turn it in and you're like, man, I feel really good about that card. God probably didn't speak that number to your heart. Because God does things that scare us. I can tell you that. So, you know, Shelly and I, we go to Sudan. I love that she calls her dad and says, Dad, I'm going to Sudan. And he's like, Sudan? 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 I'm like, Dad, like, I'm not going to be able to have a conversation with you. We're going to Sudan. Why? Because God does those kinds of things in our hearts to grow our faith. God wants to grow your faith through kingdom builders. Because he wants you to make an investment in what is eternity, in eternal matters. 
So, and I, and I say this because this is Shelly and I, and I'll be very honest with you. When we were uh, growing up through the church, I mean, I don't ever remember not tithing. I mean, because I lived in a household where my dad was a pastor. So like I get a birthday card at 10 years old, I'm tithing off that money. Anybody have you, those kind of parents? Yeah, I'm now one of those parents, by the way. <laughs> my kids don't know what to think about it. But that's how I grew up. So that's what I understood. But I will tell you, when we were challenged with faith promises, we were growing up and going through the church. I, I, when we first were getting into this, is we were a part of a church in Florida, part of a church in Chicago before we went overseas to Africa. We turned in numbers that I felt really comfortable with. I'm like, yeah, we could do this this year. That really wasn't a faith promise. But now God has wrecked my life. He sent us to Sudan. He sent us to Israel. And we just think very differently. So as we had opportunity to be a part of Kingdom Builders this year, we knew we were landing on right numbers when we said, I don't think we can do that. That's the question that begins to drive what is a Kingdom Builders pledge. So I challenge you with that this morning to say, if the number you turned in in September was a, hey, I feel really good about that number. I'm just going to challenge you to say, what would God want to do through you? And I don't know what that looks like. You know, you might be a teacher and say, well, I know what my income is, so I know what's going to happen. But then God brings along an opportunity and says, hey, here's a tutoring opportunity. Here's a coaching opportunity. And that came because he wants to resource through you for the kingdom of God. You might be a business owner and God decides that I need to bless that business because that person wants to be used to resource my kingdom advancement. There's all kinds of ways that God operates. I don't know what that looks like in your life. But all I'm saying is our responsibility is to pray, to say, God, how do you desire to use me this year to advance your kingdom? And then you watch God do that work in your life, and he'll do it. That's just what God does. So if you haven't listened to that Dan Betzer message, go back and listen to it. It'll challenge you. Now, from our psalm this morning, the psalmist writes, here's what he says in Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So why does God bless us? Why does he make his face to shine upon us? So that, in order that, your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. God blesses his people for the sake of the nations. That's why he does it. Because he wants us to be a blessing to the nations. And so we see this as, a, as simply an Old Testament thread throughout scripture. This is in, in Genesis 12, 2 and 3, where God says to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what the psalmist does is he takes this, this scripture promise for Abraham, and he simply converts it into a prayer. He says, God, may you bless us, may your face shine upon us, so that we can now take this message of Jesus to other parts of the world that your name might be glorified there. That's what the psalmist is doing in Psalm 67. And now in sense, God blesses in order to bless the nations, then churches are blessed as they pray and plan to be a blessing to unreached people. So I want to say that again. So, but I do want to be clear here. We don't earn the blessing of God by serving overseas or by giving to an overseas cause. I want to make sure we understand that. We don't earn his blessing. That's not the way God works. Our salvation is solely dependent upon grace alone. We know that. But what I'm saying is, is there is a river of blessing that's going out to the nations because God has a heart for the nations. So all that happens is, is we're invited to jump into that river of blessing that's flowing out to the nations. And I would say, why wouldn't we jump in? Shelly and I have jumped in. Anybody who's a kingdom builder, I sent out some thank you cards this week to thank those that are a part. They're a part of that river of blessing as well. That's the opportunity we have. 
And what happens among the nations as you and I purpose ourselves to serve as a blessing? I love this. Here's what it says. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. As we bless the nations, the nations worship God, which also means if we're not blessing the nations, what happens? Nobody wants to say it. The nations aren't blessing God. We have been blessed for the sake of the nations. And we're meant to purpose ourselves that way. The nations, they worship God. Why does missions exist? Because worship doesn't. In the parts and places of this world where God's name is not being worshipped, this is where we do missions. In fact, that's the definition of missions, to go where his name is not. Missions exists because worship doesn't. We must live dead so that the nations praise God. And the last reason this morning is, is we must live dead so that others might live for eternity. We must live dead so that others might live for eternity. Here's the scripture. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you. So we are blessed. We serve as a blessing. The nations praise God. And I love this line. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let the nations be glad. But for the nations to be glad, you need to know Jesus as Savior. And so our part is to help them be glad for the fact that they know who Jesus is. Worship of God comes to places where his name is not known as we live dead. When you came in this morning, it was either on your seat or the seat next to you. I want you to pull that out for a second. There's a 2017 State of the Mission book. What this does is it highlights all of the regions in the world that Assemblies of God World Missions is getting behind to make a difference in those um, different places that we have around the world. And what I want you to look at is, is turn to page 15 with me for a second. Page 15, upper right-hand corner is a bar graph. The reason we had Omar Byler here last week, who's the regional director for Eurasia, the reason we did a Eurasia experience last night so that you could experience Eurasia, raise your hand if you were a part of Eurasia experience last night. Wasn't that an awesome time? That was really, so Eurasia experience was basically you go like you're pretending you're on a plane, you land, and now you've got to go through customs and go see the marketplace of Eurasia. Uh, I will tell you, your pastor spent some time in jail uh, last night. Um, the customs agents weren't real happy with me. Um, so I was stuck in jail. They actually jailed my kids with me, so at least I appreciated that. I'd rather my kids be with me in jail than without me. Um, but it really was a great time. Adam and Christy Trimber, would you guys mind to stand for a minute this morning? They helped us with Eurasia experience. They're cross-cultural workers in the Middle East, and it was really great to have them here to speak into the process. Uh, if you had anything stolen last night, Adam may have been behind that. I'm sorry. Um, he sends his apologies, but thanks you for your missions donation. Um, but Eurasia Experience, what, you know, why do we do that? Why do we have Omar here? Why do we do Eurasia Experience? Why are we looking to have Eurasia Coffee and Tea Bar on Main Street? I mentioned that last week, so church members, we're going to have a special business meeting next Sunday right after the service about having Eurasia coffee and tea bar. Uh, there's a letter on Main Street that you can pick up that talks more about that. But why do we look at doing those things? Because of this graph. Okay, and to help you read that graph, that's not 2,488,000 you know, people. That's not. It's 2 billion. 
488 million lost people in Eurasia. Do you think we should focus on trying to do missions to that part of the world? Absolutely. I encourage you to take this book home. You can learn about missions through Assemblies of God World Missions. But the reason we want to get behind things in Eurasia is because there's almost two and a half billion people that need to know who the Son of God is. We want them to be able to say, let the nations be glad in Eurasia because they know who Jesus is. That's what we want to get behind. The theme verse for Live Dead, it comes from John 12, 24. And here's what it says. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. A grain of wheat, unless it falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Our lives will not bear eternal fruit unless we live dead, unless we live the crucified life. The persecuted church will not be strengthened unless we live dead. The nations will not praise God unless we live dead. Others will miss eternity with God unless we live dead. That's what we're talking about this morning. Why must we live dead? Because we want to stand with the persecuted church. Why must we live dead? Because we want the nations to praise God. And we have a part to play in that. Shelly and I, a couple of weeks ago, were invited to be a part of some missions meetings in uh, South Carolina. And while we were there, it was just incredible to hear the testimonies of, of one of the cross-cultural workers who, who lives in a part of the world that's in Eurasia, where all of these unreached peoples are. And he was sharing the story of a, a church planning movement that's taking off around the world. Absolutely incredible. God is moving in the hearts and lives of Muslims around the world. I want you to know that. Our news will never report that, but our bulletins should be reporting that. God is touching the lives of Muslims. They're becoming dissatisfied with radical Islam. When the Arab Spring happened, that was a note to the world to say, we're dissatisfied with the way we've set up our world. We're looking for something else. And some and many are starting to find the answer is Jesus. That's who they're looking for. So this global partner was sharing some of the stories of what God is doing in that part of the world. But the challenge is, of course, for you to turn your back on Islam, to follow Jesus, oftentimes you're persecuted for your faith. Sometimes you're killed. And he talked about some of those testimonies as well. But what struck me, as we look at the people who are on the front lines, these persecuted believers, is he, he then asks, you know, could you guys be a part of this? Could you help resource? Could you buy some Bibles? Could you buy some discipleship materials, some house church training materials? And it was really hard for me to sit in that room and to feel like, God, I just don't know that I'm okay with my part. Here are these believers that are persecuted for their faith. Can I buy some Bibles? A pastor at the end of that, that meeting, though, he prayed, and it was, such, it was a prayer I needed to hear. It was a, a spirit-led prayer. He said, God, help us not feel guilty for the part that we're to play. Help us not feel guilty for sitting in this climate-controlled room for the great dinner that we've just been served. But God, help us do our part. Can we not pray for these people? Can we not get behind and resource and buy Bibles if that's what we're being asked and, and buy discipleship materials? Help us do our part. That's my challenge for you this morning. The Great Commission, if you're new to the church, the Great Commission is in, there's a New Testament book called Matthew. In the back of that book, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus tells the disciples, 
Okay, how many know if you write a book, what you say at the beginning is really important, what you say at the end is really important. So Jesus is about to take a, a jumbo jet flight up to heaven. Last thing he says, he says, go into all the world. Baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything I've commanded you. That's the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. And we struggle with that. My kids struggle with obedience. Man, I'm driving home on them right now. Part of the challenge is it relates to us as believers is we have looked at Christian maturity as ones who know much. But can I challenge you in that this morning? It's not the people who know much that are mature in their faith. It's the people who obey much that are mature in their faith. If you know one thing and obey that, you're better than the person who knows a hundred things and obeys nothing. Does that make sense? Our call is to obedience. That's where real Christian maturity is found. The Great Commission is not for some of us. It's for all of us. And some of us are on the front lines, serving in places like Iraq. Some of us were born into Muslim families. They have found faith in Jesus and are now being persecuted for our faith. And the reason I say some of us, going back to what I said earlier, is because there's not the persecuted church and the other church. There's just the church. So some of us, you might not be in this room, we're on the front lines. We're going to send people to the front lines. And so for those individuals, they have a task to fulfill. They have an obedience to follow after. But ours looks a little bit different. Our obedience might look like praying for people to come out to a global prayer event so that we can pray for our global partners and pray for uh, believers all around the world and pray for the lost all around the world. Or it might look like us resourcing what God is doing to advance his kingdom. And I don't know what that looks like for you. He might ask you like Dan Betzer to sell a car. Dan Betzer said, you know, there's not many vices a pastor can have, but I could have a nice car. God, why do you want my car? But that's what God asked of him. He said, God, you know, Dan, sell your car. And Dan did it. And God did incredible things through the churches that he's been able to lead and pastor because they had a heart for missions. So I don't know what God is speaking to you, how he wants to use you to advance his kingdom. The reason I love the word kingdom builders is because that's what you're doing. You're investing in the kingdom of God around the world. You're investing in it locally. If you're a kingdom builder, you're a part of blessing a dozen families for, with Thanksgiving baskets this year. That's what kingdom builders do. And kingdom builders plant the church in Iraq as well. So that's the invitation you have. So my challenge for you today is this. Live dead so that the persecuted church is strengthened. Live dead so that the nations praise God. And live dead so that others have the opportunity to experience eternity with God. Let us do our part.
that we have here. And not that God doesn't want to take care of us. He does, and, and we're going to look at that in God's word. But there at the same time is a measure of responsibility we hold for the world outside these walls. That, you know, that's the Arab world. That's just one region. That's just one area in Eurasia. While we live for Jesus in the life that he has before us, may we not lose sight of the fact that there are people who daily die and go to hell. And how will that change? How will they know who Jesus is unless we send people? How can we send them if we're not praying for them and resourcing them? And that's what Kingdom Builders is all about. I want to invite you to take that Kingdom Builders card out. I'm going to actually ask you to grab a pen from your seat back as well because I want you to, to scratch something out and write something else in. Can you draw a line through that? $450,000. Just draw a line through it. Because it says that's our goal. But if I'm honest with you this morning, the goal more than a dollar figure, the goal I want you to write in is 100% participation. That really is the goal. Is that we see a church that has a heart for the world and says, God, you've called me to be a kingdom builder. Help me build your kingdom. So that's the goal. I started the year with this rope. I don't know if you remember it. And I talked about the fact that if this rope represents our lives, and this is the life, this is the segment of our life here on earth, but then this continuing rope represents eternity, because we're going to live on for eternity. 
And my challenge is we invest so much of our time and effort and energy into this part of our life when we've got all of this to come. And so Kingdom Builders is to say, I'm investing in this part. For me, I'm never real thrilled at the end of the year to look at a summary of expenses to see the amount I paid on mortgage and gas and groceries. That's all investment here. The only number I'm really thrilled and get happy about is tied in Kingdom Builders because I know what that investment is. Part of the challenge for you to counter culture today, American culture would say you're, you're called to be a consumer, but kingdom culture would say you're called to be a contributor. How many know that? That's our mandate and mission. So I'm going to have Pastor Jim come up here in, in a moment, and he's going to sing uh, a song that we ended with last week, For Your Glory. And as he sings and Emily plays, I just want you to ask the Lord, God, what would you have me do to be part of, of building your kingdom? By being a kingdom builder, you're part of planting the church in Iraq. You're part of blessing Purdue Chi Alpha in the partnership we have with them. You're part of Gideon's, getting the word out. You're going to help establish a healthcare clinic in Tibet. You're going to help set up transitional housing for orphans in Africa. You're going to provide training materials for pastors in the Czech Republic. Chi Alpha training seminars all throughout Indonesia. A water well system in the Dominican Republic our mission weekends, a mission trip to Madagascar. So these are all things as you commit to being a kingdom builder that you invest in, that big, long, white piece of the rope. And so that's my challenge for you today. So as Pastor Jim comes and he sings and Emily plays, just ask the Lord, what would you have me do? And once he's done, I'll come back up and we're just gonna collect those commitment cards this morning.